0: Thank you.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Northminster Church on this beautiful Sunday morning, April 3rd, the fifth Sunday of Lent. You have one more opportunity to see the wonderful musical, She Loves Me. Um, many of our scholars are, are in that show. Mr. Havard uh, directed the stage. We have uh, choreographers in our choir uh, and dancers and um one more opportunity two o'clock today and tickets are available at the door and you don't want to miss it. Um, Also uh, please record your attendance to our service today if you'll find on the center aisle uh, the the register registration pads on the inside aisle if you'll grab that and sign it that would be great. Um, And also coming up in uh couple of weeks, we have Holy Week, and there's a lot going on. I won't read it, but inside your uh, opportunities, uh, you'll see the events coming up, our lunch meditations, um, the Maundy Thursday service, as well as the uh, presentation of the Rudder Requiem on uh, Holy Friday. Um, also, uh, we have Mary Delancey. We don't know where she is. She was going to do a minute for mission this morning. Is she coming? Mary, are you doing the minute for mission? I
2: guess so. (laughs) Forgiving as Mother Teresa, <laughs> she said, If you can't feed a hundred people, then feed just one. But when we work together, we can feed multitudes. So, the focus of this month's Mission Trump is the food bank of Northeast Louisiana. And this partner organization distributes about 30,000 meals a month in this area, in our local area. And we can help the food bank by filling the Northminster Mission Trunk with shelf-stable products, such as canned goods, (coughs) pastas, dried pastas, dried beans, things of this nature, and of course as well as peanut butter. So that's the focus this month for our mission
1: triumph, thank you. Now if you'll join me for our call to worship. We come to a place where God restores our treasure, that is, our soul. We long for this, we dream of life.
0: Here our souls are filled with shouts of joy. Our mouths will laughter. God has
1: done great things. Here we find water for our souls parched by the desert that is the world in which we live. Here is a place where the tears that water our seeds are wiped away. In their place, God sends the waters of abundant life. The crop that springs forth rises from the earth with joy. Rise. God is here.
3: Our contemporary reading this morning, Martha, Martha, A Conversation. Martha, Martha, you seem to be worried and upset about many things.
4: I confess that the weight of the world is upon me. My thoughts are dominated by all the challenges around me, upheaval at home, war in distant lands that threaten us. These things just bring me to my knees.
3: Martha. Martha, while you're on your knees, do you pray?
4: I confess I do not have time to pray. I'm, I must get up and see what it is that I can do to meet those challenges, to make my world a better place.
3: Martha, Martha, you, you, you seem distracted. Your preparation's busy, you. I fear you are missing out on life.
4: I confess that my life is never ending preparation. There are so many things to do and so little time. Martha,
3: Martha, there are actually few things to do. Few things are needed, indeed only one.
4: But I confess I could never narrow my to-do list to just one item. How would I survive? How would my family survive? Martha,
3: Martha. I once told the evil one in the wilderness that a person does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God.
4: I confess that I have missed some of God's words because I am so busy.
3: (laughs) Martha, Martha, behold your sister. She has chosen better.
4: I confess that I, though I love my sister Mary dearly, she, she drives me crazy the way she pays no attention to detail. She respects you. Tell her to help me.
3: Martha, Martha, <laughs> I will help you. She will help you. We will pull you from the sea of busyness that is drowning you. You can have new life.
4: I confess that my frustrations with her are, in reality, envy in a way, but while you two were talking, I eavesdropped, and and I believe the words I heard might have been God's words. Choose the better way and let your soul live.
1: Let's pray together. Lord, our God, our creator, the spirit that moves within us and around us, who sustains us, as we wait upon you now, as we listen for your voice in the silence of our hearts, and as we offer our prayers to you, We think of those people in our lives who have loved us with a generous love. We think of those who, like Mary, have not counted the cost of what they have given us, of those who've given all of themselves to us as Christ gave himself for the world. We thank you for each of them and we ask you to bless them and for you to make us more like them. Lord, hear our individual prayers as we thank you for the Marys and the Marthas in our lives. As we go into this week, oh God, help us to have a focus, to have a purpose that is beyond that of just getting by, just getting through. Beyond that of just trying to make it through another week. God of mercy and passion, show us, we pray, what you would have us do. Reveal to us our own personal and unique ministry out in the world and in this place. And then help us, O Spirit, to do it. Bless, O God, those in our midst and those around the world whom we name in our hearts before you at this time. We especially ask for those who are poor this day and not only poor monetarily, but poor in spirit, frail in spirit, fearful in spirit. And we do ask that you help us to serve others with their basic needs, as Mary was saying, just to live a daily life. Here to the prayers we ask for those who need healing, who need hope in their lives, for those around the world who need justice, And those who require a portion of your mercy. Lord, hear our prayers for these and all those whom we call our brothers and sisters. And who we hold in our hearts. We thank you, God, for hearing our prayers. We also ask that you answer a portion of our prayers as you see fit. And we thank you for all of these things in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Would you stand for our gospel lesson? Reading from the Gospel of John, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with Jesus. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, She anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray Jesus, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal from it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The Gospel of the Lord.
3: Thanks be to God.
1: Pray with me again, please. O oh Lord, we pray, speak to us in this place, in the calming of our minds and the longing of our hearts, by the words of my lips, and in the thoughts that we form. Speak, O oh Lord, during this time. for your people listen. Amen. Have you ever thought maybe Jesus sometimes got it wrong? I wonder how on earth could he be defending Mary here? Mary, sister of Martha, the sister who let Martha do all the work, strikes me a bit of an impulsive airhead, really. Now my mother's name was Martha and it fits her to a T. I figure out now why she was named Martha. Maybe they they didn't mean to, but it sure fit. I know that I'm not the only one skeptical about Mary and what she did, so think about it. Mary had a pint of this very expensive perfume. The Romans used a little bit of it to anoint their heads. They used just a little bit because it was so expensive. It came all the way from the mountains of northern India where the nard plant grows. It was very fragrant, rich red rose oil derived from root and the flower stalk of the nard plant. Mary's jar of perfume had the value of a full year's wages for a laborer. Think about that a minute. A full year's wages in that one little jar. Some scholars speculate that Mary's jar may have even been a family heirloom passed down to her. And here she did, just fritted away on impulse. Now, I think the last sermon or one or two ago, I compared the Gospels. I like to look at each Gospel and how they treat the stories. And I did that just a little bit for this story. Today's gospel of John, Judas objected to Mary's extravagance, pouring all that oil much, much more than needed onto Jesus' feet. It's a waste, an enormous waste. But in Matthew, it's the disciples who object to this waste. Then if you go to the Gospel of Mark, it's the people standing around, watching it happen, who object. It was just like flushing money down the toilet. It's a misuse of precious resources for a momentary devotion. Not only did Mary squander the perfume, the way she did the anointing was highly inappropriate. First, it was improper to anoint feet during a meal. Disgusting hygiene. Filthy feet mingling while and where they were eating. Now, even though if you watch movies where the character playing Jesus is always one of the most handsome men you've ever seen. Blue eyes and long flowing hair and just gorgeous Still, he had sandals on and his feet got dirty. But then, not only did she pour the perfume, but then she wiped his feet with her hair. Now that's bizarre. Maybe even a little scandalous. Jewish women did not unbind their hair in public to start with. It indicated kind of loose morals. If a married woman let her hair down in public, her husband had the right to divorce her. We might reasonably consider Mary's behavior as foolish and a little kinky, a bit creepy for sure. She did not appear to act responsible or as an adult, but kind of emotional wreck, very extravagant and exaggerated character. I get that Mary was extremely grateful to Jesus. I get that. In the chapter just before this scene, Jesus had just raised Mary's brother, Lazarus, from the dead. And there he was at the meal. There he sat with Jesus. Possibly Mary would have been destitute without her brother. Her prodigal ways with the family's wealth obviously suggest that she definitely would have had a hard time without him with the family budget. A year's wages in the one jar. Mary may also have had some sense that she was about to be separated from Jesus the Christ. That he had nearly reached the height of his ministry because in a week, he was dead. She anointed his feet the day before Palm Sunday, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem where he would be held the king of Israel, the king of the Jews, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Her anointing shows that Jesus was her king. It was a prophetic act, and it also prepared Jesus for burial. Still, Mary's spectacle of love and service seems excessive, a bit distasteful, and I don't immediately understand why Jesus defended ridiculous Mary and rebuked sensible Judas. It may be that Jesus was speaking to me, and perhaps to you, when he just looked and said, leave her alone. It may be that John has highlighted for us in this scene two different ways to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. There are two different attitudes about discipleship, and most of us have a both of them in us. For Judas, the discipleship was a duty, an obligation. The shaming, moral, voice, scolding, think of the poor. But he was not really interested in caring for the poor. He was just calculating. Now, on the other hand, for Mary, discipleship, was about passion, the thing that energized her. She's animated by generosity and tenderness and enthusiasm. So in the moment, so vulnerable, and Judas was getting upset and on her case about it, but maybe she has something to show us about how to follow Christ. Now in the next chapter, chapter 13 of John, five days later, it was the night of the Last Supper, Monday, Thursday, and Jesus instituted the Eucharist. He wanted to show his disciples true discipleship, and Mary's overwrought foot washing might have just inspired him. Jesus got up during the meal and he stripped off his outer garments and he wrapped a towel around himself. He girded himself like a servant. And what did he do? He washed the feet of his disciples. After he did this, he told his disciples, If I, the master and teacher, wash your feet, you must wash the feet of each other I've laid down this pattern for you what I've done I want you to do whether that was figuratively or just a way to give this next commandment which he said I give you a new command love one another In the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciples. When they see that you love one another and see the love you have for each other. So Jesus wants us to follow him like Mary did, out of passion, out of desire, not out of duty or obligation. If we find discipleship a burden, a yoke, we're missing the point. Our motivation is confused. Love motivates true discipleship. That's what Mary showed us. God wants passion, not duty. God wants love, not obligation. God wants desire, not burden. The point is, if you want to engage in caring for the poor or any other kind of Christian ministry, don't do it because you feel obligated. God doesn't want you to follow out of guilt or fear or compulsion. The challenge for each and every one of us as Christians, engage in ministry and follow Jesus out of passion, out of love, and out of thanksgiving. Motivation matters. It matters a lot. The weight of duty is, I'll follow and obey, so God will accept me. The way of passion is, God loves me. God accepts me, delights in me, and in response, I will follow and obey. The human inclination is the way of duty, the gospel inclination is the way of passion. So we see Mary's lavish generosity and we may wonder how we might ever be like that. Well, we won't. We won't become truly generous by an act of will or by a guilt feeling or by a sense of duty. Rather, the first step is becoming aware of why other things are more important, why wealth is more important and how we tie our sense of respect or values or our security or our imp- or importance or approval to the other things outside of discipleship. The way to true generosity is connecting with the gospel and internalizing the gospel and identifying with the gospel. The good news is that God deeply loves and cares for us. The quality of our relationship with God is what gives us value and security and importance. Acting out of duty, following moral rules, earning our place with God doesn't lead to a true change of heart. Mary showed us discipleship motivated by passion and gratitude. It's discipleship as a response to God's acceptance and love of us, just because God loves us. That's true repentance, that's a change of heart. Mary showed us the disciples heart, a heart changed, and God longs for our love and passion, not our duty. Imagine your life without guilt, without any fear. Imagine the church not being associated with guilt and duty. Imagine not feeling guilt and duty about your family or your work or serving God. That's the ideal gospel. True discipleship comes not from duty, but from true love. A new commandment I give you just love one another. Thank you, Mary.
5: the break of day.